Well, let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you again for this day of resurrection, this first day of the week. And we want to therefore come to your word and see what you have to say to us about the implications of Jesus having risen from the dead and then ascending into heaven and even now being seated at your right hand and in one day coming again to judge the living and the dead. And as we think about uh, these things, we pray that your spirit would open our hearts and our minds to the truths that are set before us. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So after thinking of the the steps that Jesus took in, in humility when he came to the cross, and of course that goes back to when he came to earth, God become man, and then taking on the form of a servant and being found in fashion as a man and then becoming obedient unto death and even death on the cross. That was a downward path, we would say, for the Lord Jesus. But today, I want us to consider the fact that uh, Jesus now is where there can be no higher place, no higher name and no higher honour. And we concentrate, therefore, on verses 9, 10 and 11 of Philippians chapter 2. And you may want to have that open in front of you. It starts with the word therefore. And some quick-witted person has come up with saying that whenever you see the word therefore, you should ask yourself, what is the therefore, therefore? And it's usually there when we want to think about cause and effect. So uh, when we are in the midst of a drought, uh, therefore there would be a very small harvest. Uh, The team didn't play well, therefore it lost. Uh, He told a terrible joke, therefore no one laughed. Or she believed in the Lord Jesus Christ and therefore she was saved. This cause and effect. And the biblical principle is this. Whoever humbles himself will be exalted. And whoever exalts himself will be humbled. Whoever humbles himself will be exalted. And whoever exalts himself will be humbled. And it's very, of course, the first part that we're thinking. And in these verses in Philippians chapter 2, we have this cause and effect, don't we? Christ Jesus humbled himself becoming obedient to death on the cross. Therefore, therefore, God highly exalted him. And in these three verses, we see just how much God exalted Jesus as a consequence of just how much Jesus humbled himself. And therefore, how deserving Jesus was of this exaltation. Firstly, this exaltation to No higher place. God exalted him to the highest place. Well, what what does it mean, first of all? What does it mean to be exalted? You know, it seems to be a human habit to want to rank people and things and objects and events, to to rank them in some order. So we have the seven wonders of the world. There are the seven wonders of the ancient world. There's the seven wonders of the modern world. Uh, and people are sometimes either wanting to add to that or, or to change them. 
And then we have halls of fame, don't we? There's, a, the, there's the Sport Australia Hall of Fame. There's the Australian Stockman Hall of Fame. There's the Mining Hall of Fame. And the list goes on and on. And there are numerous books that rank everything. Uh, we've got two books on our shelves at home. Uh, one of them's called England's Thousand Best Churches. Uh, the other one's called England's Thousand Best Homes. Uh, and you should see some of those churches and some of those homes. But this, uh, what I'm saying is we like to rank things in order of importance. Uh, and and to, to exalt some things or some people over others. So to be exalted is to be given a position, a standing of some prominence, of some significance, of some importance. But actually, the word which Paul uses here means more than just exaltation. <clears throat> and the New King James Version, if you have that, gets it more accurately. It says, God has highly exalted, not just exalted, but highly exalted Jesus. The exaltation given to Jesus is way above the exaltation given to anyone else. And I was trying to think of an illustration for this and being an Australian and oh, I don't know how many people know. There was an Australian cricketer, test cricketer called Neil Harvey. And my name's Neil Harvey, but we are two different people. <laughs> However... Uh, being of, of that vintage, if you like, uh, trying to think of a, a suitable illustration, I couldn't help but think of Don Bradman. Uh, Don Bradman. There have been many great cricketers over the years, but Bradman is regarded as having been in a class of his own. Uh, you see, cricketers who have a test career average, if they can get a test career average of around about 50, then they're ranked in the, in the very best of cricketers. Yet Bradman's average was 99.94%. That's almost double the next best. Uh, and that's why we say that, that you know, Bradman stands out. He's head and shoulders above the others. Now, in, in biblical terms, by way of illustration, there, there are, are those in the Bible who are rightly regarded as being very significant. There's Abraham. Moses and David, all very significant people in the Old Testament. There's Peter, there's James, and there's Paul himself. All of considerable significance. But Jesus Christ is unique and head and shoulders above even the best of the others in the scriptures. <clears throat> so Jesus, others can be exalted, but Jesus is highly exalted. But what is this highest place to which he's been exalted? What does it mean? I mean, you can think of that uh, geographically and physically. So the, the highest place is surely heaven. Uh, that's God's dwelling place. Uh, and at God's right hand, surely there could be no closer place. Uh, and someone, I think it's Matthew Henry in his commentary, he's written this. He says, Christ is above the ground in his resurrection. That Christ is above the earth in his ascension and that Christ is above the heaven at his Father's right hand. We can think of, therefore, of a place as being something physical like that. But surely, surely he, it preeminently means Jesus' rank 
his standing, his importance, his significance. I mean, God spoke through many prophets. But Jesus is the prophet of prophets. God provided many high priests from Aaron on. But Jesus is the great high priest. And God installed many kings. But Jesus is the king of kings. God has highly exalted him. He who humbles himself will be exalted. He who exalts himself will be humbled. Go back to the beginning. What did Adam do? Adam exalted himself. And he was humbled. Satan exalted himself. And he was humbled and will be humbled. But Christ humbled himself. Did the reverse. Christ humbled himself. And the honour which Jesus refused to take to himself is now bestowed on him by the Father. He was and is and will be exalted to the highest place. And that's as it should be, isn't it? That's as it should be. But it's not just that there's no higher place. It's also that in relation to Jesus, there's no higher name. It says here in verse 9, And gave him the name, God gave him the name that is above every name. Now, you had no choice uh, what your name would be, did you? You could, if you like, when you'd grown up, you could change it by deed poll. Uh, my sister-in-law's husband became so tired of being called Dumbbell when his name was Dumbrell that he changed it to Henderson Scott. And in, in some countries... There are strict rules about the names that, that the newborn are to be given. And it varies. Scotland has one way of doing it and so on. In, on one side of Barbara's ancestral families, we're into family history, one side of Barbara's ancestral families, the first three boys of each generation were all called Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. Now, it's, it's mind-boggling. Abraham had three sons and he called them Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. The first... <clears throat> Isaac had three sons and he called them Abraham, Isaac and Jacob and, and the first Jacob had three sons and he called them Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. Hmm. No, I won't say anything more. It makes for, for great fun when you're researching the family tree. Actually, you know, Joseph and Mary, they were told the name that they were to give to the baby Jesus, weren't they? You shall call his name Jesus for he will save his people from their sins. And now here, it's God the Father who gives this Jesus, gives Jesus this name that is above every name. Not that Jesus was complaining, of course. But, but as, in this, as in this case, children and adults were often given a name that would describe, or hopefully would describe, the child's character. Now, as I read the various books that I use in preparing my sermons, it soon became obvious that there's considerable disagreement as to which, and this might surprise you, considerable disagreement as to which is the name that is above every name. You see, there are three possibilities. Is it the name Jesus? Is it the name Christ? Or is it the name Lord? Jesus, of course, first of all, is known by many other names and titles. 
uh, and we could limit ourselves to three. Jesus is known as uh, Jesus Christ and Lord, and there would be many others. Now, there are those amongst the books I read who said, well, the name that is above every name actually means the name Jesus. After all, there's no other name under heaven by which men must be saved than the name of Jesus. And it's a, Christ, a trustworthy saying that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. So those who say, yes, that the name that's above every name is the name Jesus. Interestingly enough, there were none who argued for the name Christ as being the name which is above every name, Christ or Messiah. And I imagine this would be because although we find the name Jesus on its own in the gospel accounts, in the letters of the New Testament, we more often than not find uh, Christ connected to the name Jesus. So we have Jesus Christ or we have Christ Jesus. Christ, in that sense, of course, is more of a title than a name. And Christ, or Messiah in the Hebrew, means anointed. And of course, again, no Christian argues with that. But then there are those who argue that the name that the Father now gives his Son is the name Lord. The argument is that important and wonderful as the names Jesus and Christ are, the supreme name, the name without parallel, the, the, the name above all other names is the name Lord. And the re reasoning goes like this. That just as the name Jesus was given or bestowed on Jesus at his birth, his time of humiliation, so uh, the name Lord was bestowed or conferred at his time of resurrection, his time of exaltation. Remember, that's what... Uh, Jesus, uh, Peter and the other disciples did. They confessed Jesus to be the Christ. And doubting Thomas, remember doubting Thomas wasn't there for Jesus' first appearance? What title, what name did Thomas give to Jesus when Thomas appeared to him, uh, when Jesus appeared to Thomas? My Lord and my God, he said, my Lord. In the, in the biblical scheme of things, there are names and titles that indicate varying degrees of rank and position. So, according to the biblical scheme, man, mankind, has dominion over the animals. But then angels uh, are, are of greater rank than mankind. And God, the creator of animals and mankind and angels, rules over them all. And Jesus... The Lord Jesus Christ, though now for a little time made lower than the angels, as one of the Psalms tells us, is now crowned with glory and honour as Lord of all. The Lord of glory, the Christ, the saviour of sinners. He's the one who's crowned the Lord of glory. How incredible, how wonderful is that? No higher place, no higher name, no higher honour. It says here in verse 10 and 11 that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. In uh, Presbyterian General Assemblies, so we have a General Assembly of Victoria meets uh, 
in October. Whenever the moderator of the assembly is about to enter, the clerk of the assembly rings a bell and he calls out in a loud voice, Moderator! And the members of the assembly are expected to immediately stand still, stop talking and turn towards the front where the moderator will appear. And the same thing happens in Parliament, or at least it's supposed to happen in Parliament, for the Speaker and in courts for the arrival of the magistrate or the judge. Some congregations do it to, uh, when the minister comes in. Uh, some men do it uh, for women when a woman enters a room. And again, in the, in the assembly, uh, if we have a woman coming to address the assembly, then everyone is expected to stand. It's a, it's a way of showing respect, of expressing respect, isn't it? But in each case, it's more for the position the person holds than it is for the person himself or herself. But in the case of the Lord Jesus Christ, it's for both who he is and what he is, isn't it? In the assembly, once the moderator is in the chair, members of the assembly are expected to continue to show their respect by acknowledging the chair. That's the phraseology that's used. And when the moderator is seated, members can stand and speak and they address their remarks to him or through him to others. And when members enter or leave the assembly, they are asked to face the moderator as they go or come and give a slight bow. And again, similar things are expected to happen in Parliament and in the courts. My point is this, if we do this with our fellow human beings, how much more it should be done in relation to the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, don't misunderstand the force of the word should here. Every knee should bow. It really means must or will. It's not an optional extra. Just as uh, we said, the voting is compulsory for adult Australians in elections. Just as humility is compulsory, as, Philippians, as Paul tells us in this letter to the Philippians, so bowing the knee to the Lord Jesus is compulsory. And don't underestimate the extent of this bowing of the knee and this confession of the tongue. Because, think about those words, it includes all those in heaven. Angels and archangels and all the company of heaven will acknowledge Jesus as Lord. It includes all those on the earth, believers who will gladly, gladly acknowledge Jesus as Saviour and Lord. But it also includes unbelievers because there is a time coming when even unbelievers will grudgingly have to confess, yes, Jesus is Lord. And it includes all those under the earth, the dead, the demons, who already know who Jesus is and they tremble. And they will have to do it as well. But that's wonderful. That's wonderful. The one who was despised and rejected, the one who became obedient to death, even death on the cross, is now the one who every being who has knees and a tongue will acknowledge as Lord. You know, the mere mention of the name moderator is enough to call the assembly to order. To order. The mere mention of the name Jesus should be enough to have us bow down in worship. 
But for your bending of the knee and confessing with your tongue that Jesus Christ is Lord to be gladly and willingly given on that great and glorious day when he will appear, when he comes again, it needs to be gladly and willingly given in the here and now. You will have to do it. Which will it be for you? Will it, will it be willingly done or unwillingly? No higher place, no higher name, no higher honour. And it's all to the glory of God the Father. That's how the verse finishes. You know, it's rather remarkable what this greatest of all honours given to Jesus accomplishes. It doesn't diminish God the Father's glory, it actually enhances it. The only way to honour God is to honour his Son, Jesus Christ, and honour him as Lord. Because if Christ is magnified, God the Father is glorified. To confess that Jesus Christ is Lord is to make a statement about the Saviour's divine identity. To make that confession doesn't diminish God's glory, it demonstrates God's glory. It shows that all the positions and names and honours given to Jesus are so perfectly fitting, so appropriate. It doesn't diminish God's glory, it shows the fulfilment of the triune God's plans. Isaiah, in an earlier chapter, chapter 45, said this, and this was God speaking, and as you hear these words with, we know it's God speaking, think about those words in Philippians, which are ascribed to Jesus. Turn to me and be saved, all you ends of the earth, for I am God and there is no other. By myself I have sworn, my mouth has uttered in all integrity a word that will not be revoked. Before me, every knee will bow. By me, every tongue will swear. A clear demonstration from when we read what Paul has said, that Jesus is Lord because Jesus is God. Brethren, Jesus is Lord now and he will be seen and acknowledged as Lord in the future and you will acknowledge him as such there and then. But I want to ask you and challenge you, have you done it in the here and now? Have you done it in the here and now? Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have exalted your Son, the Lord Jesus, to the highest place, given him the highest name, and bestowed upon him the highest honour. Lord, grant, we pray, that we might do the same. We need to do it. We need to do it gladly, openly, because Jesus has done so much for us. Because he's done so much for us, O oh Lord, therefore, help us to acknowledge him. Like Thomas, to be our Lord and our God. Like Peter, to say, you are the Christ. Like others, to say, Jesus, my Saviour. We pray in his name.